It took me years to even see my shackles. Faith was the easiest to spot. But the triumph I felt as I cast it off was short-lived. I traced the remaining chains with a rising panic. These were all the books I've read. My parents. My teachers. My lovers and my friends. And the chains were so enmeshed that removing them would mean tearing out chunks of myself. But once the terror subsided, resolve was left in its place. Escape may be impossible, but I sure as hell could break into a bigger, better prison. All I had to do was embrace the void. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 49 of Embrace the Void where we will never deny you service because it hurts a lot more to listen. I'm your host, Aaron, and with me as always is my bouncer, GW. How you doing, G-dubs? Staying strong at the door. And my boy. We're going to let everybody in, though, of course. <laughs> you know, moral luck and all that. Uh, so today is the last of our pre-recorded interviews to compensate for me being laid up for a couple of weeks. Uh, before we get over to that much-anticipated interview... Um, I wanted to give a shout out. Uh, thanks to Evan Matthews for our invocation for this episode. We really love it when y'all send us um, opening invocations. So please keep those coming. Yeah, it's just um, less work for us. I mean, that's why it's, it's, I think right. it's awesome. Anytime you paint that fence, it's great. <laughs> uh, and I, we, speaking of, we also wanted to do some extra thank you. So um, we're doing a special raffle for our patrons where we are going to uh, raffle off signed copies of my Hamilton and philosophy book. Um, if you have thought about becoming a patron, maybe this would be a good time to hop in. Um, the amount of chances you get for winning will depend on uh, the amount of patronage uh, and such great things. We're going to do the raffle on July 4th, so it gives you a little bit of time. Um, and isn't, yeah. isn't there a minimum patron uh, amount that you have to pledge for to sure. get that? Sure, uh, $4 minimum, right? So $4 for the month, which is just $1 an episode per month, which seems, I think, fairly reasonable for the uh, enjoyable, hopefully, content that we are putting out. Um, and you get the added bonus of potentially a, a signed piece of history. Yeah, terrible history. Just like terrible history. god-awful yeah. Hamilton. Like, yeah. who even wants to listen to that? Longtime fans of the show will know that it's uh, Thomas Smith's favorite book. <laughs> and he fu fully endorses this um, and you shouldn't ask him about it or anything. Uh, okay. I think with that sufficiently plugged, why don't we hop over to the interview? What's Chang doing? He's getting a refill on his void. Welcoming to our show tonight, a longtime friend of the void who we've been hoping to have on since he was uh, so gracious to have us on for a marathon uh, version of his show. <laughs> Uh, Corey Johnson of the Brainstorm podcast and the Hardcore Skeptic Examines. Corey, do you want to say hi to the Void? Hello, Void. <laughs> Welcome. It's so good to finally get you in here. For sure, yeah. Been looking forward to this ever since we discussed it. It feels like it's whenever. been 10 million years. 
<laughs> yeah. A million void years. Yeah, right. Since we were on your show. Um, so, but this worked out great because we had a topic that we had been wanting to look at and we wanted to get you on the show. And then you mentioned that this was something you want to talk about as well. So it all just kind of fell together beautifully. We want to talk about um, uh, the sort of point of contention and all of the debates <laughs> surrounding the idea of equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity um, yeah. and how that gets... Uh, how that becomes a huge argument for a lot of people on a variety of social justice fronts. Um, so uh, you were saying this is something that you've been sort of looking at a bunch recently. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did a bunch of series interviews regarding social justice, right. And uh, something that kept coming up was this various forms of evidence studies uh, like that showed many people of marginalized groups, uh, often aren't given the opportunities that white people or may, even white men get. And uh, quite often people think that when uh, we're arguing for this increased opportunity that we're looking for equity of outcomes when really we're not even close to an equity of opportunity yet. Mm -hmm. And this was one that you were interested as well, right, GW, because uh, you feel like people sort of go a little easy sometimes on these arguments? Well, uh, I, uh, don't judge me. I was watching <laughs> that um, long debate uh, that Peterson happened to be on, uh, and he said that, and I had never thought about looking at it from that perspective. And so I sort of self-reflecting on times I've either said myself or heard other people say, like, you know, look at all the people that work for Google, right? It's mostly... Uh, men, Asian and white men, and there aren't many women, and that's a problem. And I go, yeah, I agree. But then I never realized, like, I'm only looking at the outcome. Like, you know, given a hypothetical of imagine, imagine you are hiring people for some company, and you have 200 applicants, and you have 100 position, positions. And let's just say that you want to hire 100 of those people who happen to be women, they all say no. And then you go to your second option and you happen to hire all men, right? The opportunity was equal, but the outcome wound up being different. And I think that is le a legitimate sort of thing to look at in the question. Yeah. So I think that's the, that's sort of the crux of the concern here that uh, individuals on the social justice side, when they are looking for evidence of what, where, where we might look for evidence of, uh, social inequality, especially kinds of what can often be covert kinds of inequality, where uh, inequality of opportunity is often very hard to prove when you're talking about like the refusal to let certain people into certain areas in terms of housing. Like these things can be difficult to provide evidence for. And one way to provide, it seems like, concrete evidence for them is to say, look at this radical inequality of outcomes, right? You're getting these incredibly disparate outcomes it seems implausible that all of that would be as a result of um you know natural factors that aren't having anything to do with inequality so therefore absolutely there must be some inequality of opportunity that seems like a reasonable inference. i don't think so right i i, I think that might is potentially a leap that we're making right i, I think to say it's i think the, the leap that they are accusing people of is saying that necessarily proves evidence of inequality rather than 
suggests there may be inequality. Yeah, I think that's the important distinction. Yes. Right. And so, you know, what we should be saying, if we want to be very precise, is we should say the inequality of outcome is suggestive of, but doesn't necessarily prove inequality of opportunity. We need to do more research. And that's why you do things like uh, the name change studies where yeah. when you submit to, yeah, you want, you want to do that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, they've got those resume studies, right? That where it's the exact same study, but then they change the name to a typically uh, racialized name and they get less callbacks. Right. Or, and there's or a, a, female a bunch name. of those. Yeah. yeah. Or a female name. And they get a bunch of those. Stu- uh, they've, there's tons of those studies out there that have been basically proven fairly bias. substantially. Yeah. That there's bias in, in hiring. And they'll argue the data on those. Some people will argue that like the evidence is overstated and that like some studies have come back with no difference between the names. Um <laughs> Again, it is challenging to to put a uh, an exact number on these kinds of factors, but it does seem like there is a high likelihood that these things contribute to some extent, which is why the Peterson types will often fall back on claiming, well, we don't know to what extent that inequality is a factor as compared to the non-immoral uh, factors. The thing that is troublesome for me is, and and I'm using this with like, context of uh, uh, either being on a search committee or or something like that, where people start making decisions on we should hire this person because they are of a, 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 a group and not because of the merits, right? Because of the possible outcome and what people may infer from the outcome. And that I think, you know, we all agree here that saying I'm not going to hire this black person because they're black is a terrible thing and no one should ever do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I, it doesn't seem like much of a leap logically speaking for saying, I'm going to hire this person just because they're black. Yeah. I think, I think that it's almost a mischaracterization to think that anybody's actually doing that though. Uh, Which I brought part? that up uh, that the people are hiring black people because they're black. Yes, that's happening. Well, <laughs> perhaps I, I if- could, I could tell you with personal experience, <laughs> I, I have been in rooms where they said, well, we should probably hire a woman because we don't have as many women here. So we're going to hire this person because they're a woman. Well, and they were qualified. Like, don't get that, me wrong. That, they that, were 100% yeah, that's qualified. The, that's the distinction there, right? Yeah. Like if somebody's, if you have a black person who's qualified and a white person who's qualified, then you have to somehow make a decision between those two people. And yeah. So this is one major question, right? Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking like, and if you have a diversity issue in your workplace, then perhaps it's not unreasonable to say, let's hire this person because they're black. But I think too often there's an abundance of white people being given positions when they may or may not be as qualified as a person of color or a woman. Yeah. And I think the statistically that makes, it makes more sense to work towards a, a, an increase in diversity by somehow accounting for that bias or, or whatnot. And I think like the question for me then becomes like, how much, how much is it incumbent on the employer to try to solve some of these problems? Like I, 
in the hypothetical scenario where you know you put out i i had an experience where uh, i worked on this show um children of a lesser god which has three deaf characters in it um the lead uh one of the two leads is supposed to be a deaf character the other lead is supposed to be a hearing person and we had both deaf and hearing people for those two the other two characters which were very small roles were uh, deaf characters and we had zero deaf people audition except for this one who got the role and we like reached out to deaf west which is a company that um helps deaf actors on the west side of uh the country and we had zero people audition and, and we were like oh my god people are going to yell at us and it's going to be terrible and it wound up being fine and no one like called us out on it because we had to essentially cast two hearing people to play deaf roles but Right. It's there are scenarios where the employer says, I want, you know, I want to be more diverse. But if they don't get people applying that are of that diverse group they want, you could still point it, point at them and go, well, you're not being diverse enough. Yeah. See what I I'm saying? I'm sort of I'm trying that, I'm trying to steal man this position. No, you're right. possible. And, and, yeah. In those situations, it's incumbent on us as the advocates for this thing to really be nuanced in our responses and i think it's perfectly reasonable to say you know those person you, you know you all reached out you tried to get individuals for these roles when you couldn't you you filled the roles in other ways and that's great like that's that that i think i think you're sort of answering your own question a little bit about like you know what does due diligence mean it means you know to a reasonable degree attempting to do the right thing it doesn't always mean that you get the ideal outcome which is again our whole point here um, but it does mean that you go a little farther in terms of trying to get uh, a quality of opportunity that has been sorely lacking. Um, I think, I mean, I want to go back a little bit to the question of if you have two equally qualified individuals and some of these people will debate if you can ever have two equally qualified individuals. But I think if we're being honest, you can have two resumes that are sufficiently similar that yeah. you would be happy with either of them. If you have that def defining feature being, you know, we don't have nearly enough women or people of color or something in this particular department, is it wrong ethically to use that as a deciding factor if you have no other deciding factors? I think I think if we if we make the argument that it is it is ethically not OK to not hire someone on the basis of their identity in some way. It doesn't seem like much of a stretch. It seems like the same argument to say we should hire someone because of their identity. So, yeah, I can understand why that right? sounds like consistency. I think that my view would be. Um, it, because because it's still. It's still the same argument, right? It's still I'm not going to hire this person because of their identity. But even even when you're saying we're going to hire this other person. Person A, I'm going to hire because of their identity. What you're saying in the same breath is I'm not hiring this other person B because of their identity. I think what we would say is there is a prima facie, all things considered, kind of wrongness to making judgments based on appearance or identity or something like that. Uh, at the same time, we can see that there is a problem with uh, uniformity of experience and viewpoint that comes from systems that pretend to be quote unquote blind, but instead seem to churn out an endless series of mostly white men. Um, <laughs> and so 
right? So we have to balance these competing moral needs. And so what we are doing is we are saying, you know, you shouldn't, I think anyone would argue, take a less uh, competent individual merely to fill a quota, right? That would be, you know, the, the immorality would then outweigh that kind of uh, choice in that situation. But in a situation where there is no other good deciding factor, it is not inherently immoral to take historical context into account and say it would be good to bring someone into this group from a different community and thereby create a pathway for other individuals from that community to enter into these kinds of organizations. Because we have to be realistic, a lot of the time the reason there's no opportunity is because people hire who they know, and who they know is often people from their community, and communities are still largely very segregated. I th- I th- Sorry, I'm sort of monopolizing this. Corey, feel free to jump in here. No, I... I, I... <sighs> Essentially, I think that Aaron made the point that I was thinking was like, there's more context there that when we say like this person of color or woman is in a, uh, is on paper as qualified as the white dude, but there's more obstacles they face. There's more context to the qualifications they got. There's more things there that maybe we could account for when we're doing a, the practice of hiring people. Right. But we could also like, I think there's potentially a lot of things that we're assuming, right? Like we could assume you're, you're making the assumption that one person has had to go through more obstacles, but in this hypothetical scenario, it could be that the white person grew up in a super poor family and the other person grew up in a rich family. And and I don't know. I, I guess it feels to me that Long term, it becomes a self-defeating ideological perspective, right? If if the long-term goal of liberals is to have equality for everyone, right? That people are are judged based on their identity, their individuality, and not based on any label. It seems like this is a path, although will have short-term benefits, could potentially have long-term consequences. I think, I think that that, I think that you're right in, but we have a long way before that's a problem. (laughs) If you know what I'm saying, because uh, there's so much uh, lack of opportunity for various people that, uh, that it seems we have a long way to go before we're actually faced with equality. And then we can figure out, well, okay, what are the things we're doing wrong that are maybe holding other people back? If that makes sense. Yeah, I I sort of tend to think of it as well that we don't have to assume that these are permanent, permanent systems that are never going to shift as the the historical situations shift. Right. We are bare. We're not even a generation out from people who are still suffering from serious, serious kinds of inequality and oppression. So, um, Side side note, I just saw the RBG documentary, which was fucking amazing. Oh, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, So, you know, what we do is we use these as tiebreakers in these situations where you have equivalently competent people up until a point where you start to get closer. Another, Another issue that comes up a lot when I argue with people on Twitter about this is that, like, they think that we're going to institute some sort of draconian absolutist <laughs> form of parody, 
where if there are 51% men or women in the population, then there have to be 51% of women in every role and every job in society or something like that. <laughs> Rather than we want to close the gap of parity from 10%, 90% to 70-30 or whatever, and just you know move that ball down the field some and then reassess what the situation feels like for people in that real world, which is going to be, let's be honest, 30 years from now. Um, and then I think what you're going to see is you would scale back these kinds of tie-breaking things as there seems to be less need for them. I also want to point out that, like, I'm all for, you know, in a system like, uh, I think, nursing is one where it's dominated largely by women. If you have two competent nurses and one of them is a man, hire the man. What's the problem there? Like, especially because that man probably, like you said, overcame adversity simply by choosing a job that is traditionally a feminine job and clearly wants to do that job pretty seriously. Yeah, I think that I think you made the case pretty well myself. <laughs> I uh, uh, I find that you, you must talk to different people on on Twitter than I do because I'm still stuck with the people who just flat out deny there's a problem. <laughs> well, well, like to steal me in their position, right? This is very complicated. So like when you talk about True. the pay gap, for example, there are a lot of factors here and an argument can be made that some people are disingenuous in the way that they use the data in order to argue that the gap is different than it might be. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I don't, I think it's hard to imagine there's absolutely no problem. Um, but I think, you know, I, I argue with these people because I do think that there's some value in, in seeing what data, <laughs> seeing what data they're looking at because they bring right, you yeah. different data because, people pull data that supports their position a lot of the time. I think one thing that would be helpful for people like us to try to do is, and people like us, I mean, like liberals, is to try to stomp when other liberals make the argument of, look at the outcome, there's got to be a lack of opportunity, right? Because that's that's the argument I hear predominantly, uh, which is what what made me think about a lot of this as well. Uh, I think it is a very fair criticism of liberals to say that they look at the outcomes to base a lot of this on. I'm not saying all are doing it, but I th I think it is a fair criticism. Yeah. Aaron I, disagrees. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't, I mostly agree. Like, I think if, you know, my, my caveat is this is one of those situations where, you, you know, being a good communicator means going above and beyond, which means, you're 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 expected to be perfect in your language, even though the other side is not going to necessarily be perfect or consistent in theirs. But you're right. We should say that it is indicative of a concern or a possibility of inequality, but it is not sufficient proof in itself. And mm -hmm. we should, like I was saying earlier, be very clear in saying that our goal is less disparity, not radically absolute parity. Right. And also not tyrannical, like regulation. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. I, I find like, I mean, I guess you can always get the fake news type reaction when you do it, but I, I try to share the studies and, and be like, well, this is what I uh, like, rather than talking about like the outcomes I'm showing, I would prefer to show you that there isn't an opportunity, equal equality of opportunity from the start. Mm -hmm. Like here's, here's how we know that the, that various people aren't getting a fair shake in 
job interviews or orchestra auditions or what have you. There's other good, I think, data that people can point to. There was that study that came out a little while ago that showed that, especially among men, um, black men versus white men with uh, roughly equivalent starting financial situations, the the black men still tend to do far worse over time. So that's another right. situation where you can argue that um, there's something going on there in that process that is creating an inequality of outcomes that seems to be even when I control for all those other factors, right? That's the, that's the ideal, right? If, if you can really do the data well enough to say I've controlled for every other potential factor and these individuals <laughs> are functionally identical as far as we're concerned, and they're still getting these substantially different outcomes, then mm-hmm. you're making a stronger case that that's evidence of inequality. Yeah. And part of it could also be, and and I'm not suggesting this isn't something we could potentially fix, but the sort of psychological part of it, right? The, you know, tokenism and things like, uh, uh, you know, statistically we see that young black people do poorer on tests, mostly because they have this fear of, well, I'm probably going to do bad anyway, so I might as well not try or, you know, things like that. So there could be like the psychological component as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Corey, like, what do you think in the stuff that you've been looking at are, like, some of the potential solutions, right? So we're talking about various different quotes, like, not quotas necessarily, <laughs> but, like, ways to try to balance these things out. Are, is there other stuff that you've found that people think is is particularly functional? Uh, well, I mean, mostly it's it's practices in blinding, right? Like, in a sense, like, taking the names off of the resumes and just comparing the, like, the actual... Uh, credentials mm-hmm. or like in this, in the case of, uh, I don't know if you heard about the, the study with orchestra members and they had them behind a screen. walk out mm-hmm. yeah, behind the screen. And they actually even had them take off their shoes so that wouldn't cause different people walk mm-hmm. differently. And, and then they just played behind the screen and it it's like a blinding kind of a tool. Yeah, the sad the sad thing is though is that we can't always do that, right? Yeah. In a lot in a lot of positions, you can figure out who your like top contenders are just based on these blind things. But a lot of times, it it comes down to where you have four people that are all perfectly equally qualified, and it comes down to personality. Uh, yeah, the and, and sometimes <laughs> yeah, and and that can sometimes be a big deciding factor. Yeah, there's also some interesting just to to steal me on the other side here. There's some interesting data, I think that came out of Australia that they had to halt some blind um some blind hiring processes because they were producing even more in in unequal outcomes basically. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. Huh? Yeah. You know, I get sent a lot of things. <laughs> well what <laughs> yeah. about this? Which is useful. I appreciate it. Keep sending For me sure. those, yeah. those things that that contradict my viewpoint so that I can keep checking on them. Because I do think that like um, I'm sympathetic to the idea that while we do need systemic solutions in terms of policies like those, there are other systemic solutions that we need that are much more nuanced having to do with educating people differently in the way that culture treats individuals so that yeah. there are different reflexive responses to different kinds of behaviors. Um, and that stuff is really, really tricky, right? So I, if I say 
it, it seems to me in my experience, and many women have told me they've had an inverse experience, that because I am male and have a sufficiently deep voice, I can command a fair amount of attention in a room <laughs> and demand responses from individuals and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm given more sort of de facto authority within social situations. That's a very hard thing to prove initially, right? To show that that's not just anecdotal. And right. then it's very hard to unlearn it or figure out when it was learned, if it's, you know, something that's really deep in the DNA and how we're going to uh, have to be able to unwork that stuff. Yeah. I I wonder if there's something we can do, like, like you say, like if we're given unjust, uh, an unjust amount of uh, power or respect in a, in a posi- particular position, if we can, as liberal men, uh, hand that off in some way, <laughs> like be like, okay, but here's somebody you should be listening to, you know? Yeah. I think that's a valuable thing to do um, whenever possible. I think uh, using, using your ability to hold a space and then give that space to someone else can be very useful. Um, unfortunately, some of the pushback you get is, well, if you really believe all of this, shouldn't you give up your podcast to someone else? Um, I don't think it quite works that way. I think. Well, I have said to people that they should be supporting other podcasts over mine. <laughs> sure. Right. Or that, that you know, uh, it is a, a good thing to try to be very aware of who you're having on your podcast so that you're not getting yeah. in the habit. Which is why, as a, a straight white male, you had to wait so long to be on the show. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> like all of our straight white male guests, we have to save up a lot of points first. <laughs> that's exactly how it works. I'm giving up the game. See? Yeah. Long yeah. The show. We have this regulation system, this point structure. Yep. I got a chart. And I had to be far enough left as well that it counts. Right. Of course. It well, doesn't you're, count you're, as you're badly. You're Canadian, so that's good. <laughs> Do you want to do a few minutes on how um, your uh, your leader can beat up our leader? Oh boy, <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm actually at a loss as to politics lately. <laughs> These tariffs and everything, this trade war that uh, Mr. Trump is trying to uh, start with his allies is quite odd. Do y'all get? New- I mean, what kind of news do y'all get about that on your end of it? Mostly, it's just almost like the headlines sound baffled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deeply, deeply confused. Yeah, I understand that feeling. Probably what his expert, yeah. his advisors feel like every time they leave the room. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, in Canada, I know we have a lot of issues with uh, the way that we deal with the way we treat indigenous people. And uh, I know a lot of people give us a pass because we are more left as a country, but, and we're super polite or whatever, (laughs) but, (laughs) but we do have similar issues where, uh, indigenous peoples end up getting, uh, kind of the shaft, even though they're supposed to be getting, uh, specific opportunities afforded them based on their identities. We're, we're even supposed to be, because we're supposed to be a nation to nation type relationship rather than uh, rulers over the ruled, <laughs> they still often are treated uh, as an underclass almost. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you're still a country of white people. That's not surprising. Yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> still coloni- colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> it only goes so far. Um, I guess um, one other thing I want to point out here is that a lot of this debate hinges on questions of essentialism. We haven't talked about essentialism too much in this, but like the reason you might think, especially I think, so I think what happens, let me, let me back up a little bit. I think what happens a lot of the time is well-meaning social justice individuals who believe that there are no or likely to be very little essential differences between, say, men and women that would explain the massive gaps in in uh, uh, representation, right? Go on to assume that there are some um, other factors that are driving these differences in representation and that if you remove those factors, you would likely get something closer to parity because there is not something else fundamental in these individuals that is keeping these differences the way they are. And what you'll get a lot of the time is degrees of pushback on this, where people will say, well, maybe things would get a little closer, but like in politics, for example, you'd still have 50, you know, 60% men and 40% women because the difference would be in that men tend to be slightly more power seeking and women tend to slightly more often pursue prefer to be at home or something those are the kind of things they'll usually point to isn't that another jordan peterson type point he i think he's said like that men are more aggressive and that explains why they have more political power or business power yeah i mean whenever he starts to actually say something concrete it tends towards some form of (laughs) essentialism basically some sort of (laughs) biological essentialism um (laughs) And like, I think, let's be honest, there might be certain differences right now that explain some of these things that are the kinds of differences that, while not essential, wouldn't be changeable within a single individual within their lifetime. Could be changeable over generations, but may not be fixable in 10 years or something. Yeah, I suppose part of the trouble is recognizing how much of the uh, behaviors that we see now are socialized Mm -hmm. and how many are how much of them are actually essential or whatever but yeah yeah, it's hard to know how much of it might be some like evolutionary psych kind of thing how much of it might be actually like biological how much it's it's difficult to know yeah yeah and we should difficult to test for we shouldn't either assume that like cultural equals mute more easily mutable and uh, genetics equals less easily like yeah. Yes right, and yeah. yes and no, right? Even within your culture, you're going to have a very hard time changing things. Sometimes it's going to take a very. It is true in principle that uh, culture moves faster than genetics, but we shouldn't necessarily assume that, that it's a, a very very big distinction between them, um, especially for an individual in their own lifetimes. Uh, yeah, that seems fair. <laughs> so I mean, I guess like it's hard because we want to be. We want to we want to fix things because there clearly needs to be some sort of fixing that happens, but that fixing probably isn't something we can do just by asserting a, a, enough authority in the right places at the right time. It's probably a lot of um, slowly changing the face of Arrakis. Some something that I find I often the one point I do often find myself agreeing with with like your right wing type folks Mm-mm. is that. I don't want my I don't menagerie want the government. of deplorables. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> I don't want the government to be imposing kind of like these rules on us that were are supposed to make things better. I, I don't know that that's going to actually solve anything. I, I think that we need to, like you said before, kind of educate people and lean towards like this kind of s- slow social progression as we learn more about the way th- reasons things happen. I think it depends, right? I think that there's been plenty amounts of proof that both work and also both don't work, right? If you look at uh, desegregation, right, that was the government forcing True. Southern states to have black people in predominantly white schools. And although that there was a lot of heartache in doing that, it clearly did a lot of good in long-term speaking. Yeah, yeah. and ultimately it needed to be done, right? Yeah, right. And this is why I'm sympathetic to things like the C-16 stuff, whatever fuck Peterson says, like you need to not just change the culture in a soft way, but you need to give people hard, real tools for asserting their rights and demanding others act responsibly towards them. Like hammers? Like hammers. Hard tools. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) You need to be able to hammer away on these people. Um, (laughs) Yeah. There you go. You nailed it's it. So literal. <laughs> Everything's a hammer with you. <laughs> all you look around and all you see are hammer metaphors. It's true. It's well, I mean, this is the time. Something about hammers. And hammers. I don't know. It's a hammer time. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> hammer time. <laughs> You're just like Sorry, opening the door, yeah, gesturing no, for me to walk you. in. Really, that was a soft. Sweeped up the mat. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I like to let you have some fun, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. have we, cause I know that you're, I'm not trying to make you be the, um, the, the the bad guy here, but do you feel like we have at least been somewhat thoughtful GW towards the, the kinds of concerns that you wanted to get at on this episode? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it, it seemed like a fair question to be asked and, and it's something I'd never really heard discussed before. So I think, I think we have sufficiently answered it. Uh, and maybe identified uh, something that we can do to sort of improve ourselves as well. It's something that I haven't talked about on our podcast in a long time, but it's something I've been doing. I've started to do again, which is I try as much as possible to listen to people who have differing perspectives that I do to try to, you know, keep an open mind and also maybe identify things that I may not be seeing, mm-hmm. right? Trying to, to reduce my confirmation bias. Uh, and that was an argument I heard that I had never heard before, and it sounded like a fair argument. So, I think it's good, a good piece of the landscape where if you're going to engage in these kinds of arguments, you want to be nuanced in both your factual claims and your moral claims, mm-hmm. because it's otherwise it's very easy for the other side to score points on you. Right, and I think it's 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 really it's really easy. And Aaron, you do a really good job of you know steel manning. And I think it's something that everyone, one thing that everyone could do to improve themselves is learning how to steel man other people's positions, uh, because it's easy for us to go, oh Peterson, what a cuck! Like that, it's easy to balk <laughs> at him and and make fun of him. But you know, to try to go, all right, something. Let's try to take something he has said objectively and try to analyze it, uh, which I think we've done. Uh, and I think that is something that is missed in social media, on Twitter and things like that. You want to insult people. You don't want to do ad hominems. Right. right. You want to <laughs> right. address their position. You want to steel man it. You want to object to it. You want to refute it. And then mm-hmm. you want to call them a lobster cuck. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Or a rock lobster. Have it unrelated to the re- refutation of their point. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts on the um this issue, Corey, before we head over to Hero of the Week? Uh, I don't know. I I I guess just that sometimes when we have discussions like this, it's it's I mean, this went actually went in a bit of a different direction than I was expecting because uh when we talk about socialism, mm-hmm. people often think that we're me like they're conflating equal everybody getting exactly the same situation at every time versus giving them the same opportunities and the same tools all the time. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, this went in a, a much better d- direction than, <laughs> than I think than uh, it could have if it was just about the economic side of things. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's valuable to tie this to, the Rawls original position idea that like inequality within a society is acceptable as long as it's not radical inequality and as long as it benefits <laughs> everyone. Um, so I think there's a lot of similarities between the way that he thinks that we should balance these competing moral needs and the way that I think that we should uh, for the sake of this non-economic kind of inequality. Is that what you think you are? A hero? Save the world, didn't I? Once. Talk to me after you've done it a couple more times. Yeah, I guess uh, my hero this week, I, I've been kind of uh, listening to and talk, trying to get in touch with a person. Uh, uh, her name is Kim Tallbear. She's an indigenous person who uh, lived down in the States, has an anthropology, is a, is an anthropology professor at the University of Calgary. And she recently did a couple episodes of the podcast she's on, which is media indigena. And they talked about settler sexuality, which is the idea that, uh, Western European settlers came over to North America. And as we colonized, uh, sort of imposed a type of sexual, uh, purity or like our ideas of sexual purity onto indigenous people, uh, when they had a different view of things that worked fine for them or, and, and we thought that our ways were better. And, uh, it translates to a lot of strife in relationships and families right now. You did a Puritan, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Never go full Puritan. No, that's right. (laughs) The, uh, the, uh, (laughs) the idea that Western, uh, Western European relationships are the pure ideal is something that really seems to have impacted a lot of idea, a lot of ideas and a lot of things in our society as you know, even for those of us who come from that background. What was the, um, you know what the dominant sort of, have you gotten to the point where she describes the dominant sort of sexual models for indigenous people prior to us screwing it up? Uh, Interesting. Like they, uh, they have this or had, a, a more polyamorous type society. Oh, of course they did. Where, uh, <laughs> of course they did. Damn it. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and children weren't raised by necessarily one set of parents. Mm-hmm. Everybody cared. The village. The yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, I mean. There's no utopia that Christian sex can't ruin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kim Tallbear uh, is my hero the last more than the week, actually <laughs> it's been about a month. I've been following her stuff. Nice. She's pretty amazing. Nice. Um, where can people 
you know, where it's easy for Americans especially to uh, track her down. It looks like uh, she has a website, kimtallbear.com and mediaindigena.com. There you go. <laughs> and, and also one, one just little bit of factoid that's worth saying is that she's also a doctor. Like she has her doctorate. So nice. right. certainly ticks off all my boxes. <laughs> um, well, good luck getting her on your show. And do you want to tell folks a little bit about where they can find you? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the brainstormpodcast.com or brainstormblog.net are our websites. That's where all the episodes that I've produced can be found. And I've got like a million shows and I've been podcasting for almost five years. So awesome. <laughs> it's a while. Yeah. It's pretty hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Are you skeptical about it? I am a little skeptical <laughs> as to whether or not it's effective. We try to see how we can go uh, the cheapest joke we can possibly go out on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. one of the things that, uh, uh, like a lot of people kind of think that the hardcore skeptic is like this persona I've adopted and it really was just kind of like a tongue in cheek thing. My friends used to make fun of me for being the most hardcore about everything. Uh huh. Like <laughs> it doesn't seem like something you would self apply. I'll give you that. <laughs> no, you're so hard. At least, at least unironically. Yeah, exactly. But boy, oh boy, do people on that you argue with on Twitter, they just don't get the joke. No, <laughs> you should change it to super serial skeptic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Guys, I'm serial. Super serial. <laughs> All right, Corey, well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us about equality of opportunity versus outcome. Uh, I hope that, that folks will enjoy this and bear with the fact that we are three men discussing this. But that, that's the way it is, <laughs> yeah. right? Like we said, it's not always going to be the same outcome and opportunity. That's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, this was great well, having, having you on, and thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We would like to thank our top patrons, Jesse Rubinowitz, Dave Maslick, Abe, Corey Johnson, host of the Brainstorm Podcast on the Hardcore Skeptic, and thanks for coming on, CampQuest.org, 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 Mr. Nobody, Chad Trait, and make Aaron mispronounce patron names again. If you'd like to become a patron, find us at patreon.com slash embrace the void. As always, remember, you are the void, the void is you.